So, good evening. I'm sitting here so that I can see a few more of you than I would if I were there. Has it changed at all since you did this thing earlier? Remember I got you to indicate where you were? Did it stay the same? I doubt it. And we've received a number of notes with very good questions and uh, things you're grappling with or concerned about. And hopefully I'll get to address some of them in the talk. If I don't, then um, tomorrow morning, uh, everyone who's new to practice here will be seen in the morning in a small group. There'll be a chance to ask more questions then. And feel free, if you're still not satisfied with the response, write, me, write us another note. So I want to, we have from now till nine um, to explore a little bit more together. And I don't intend to speak for all of that time. It will be a number of different things we do. I want to start by offering a compassion chant. I just want to... You're very welcome to come back in when you're you're good. Okay. It's tough when you're coughing. Um, And it's not the one from the sheet. We'll pick that up again tomorrow. So this particular chant is to invoke the tender aspect of the human heart, the tender aspect of compassion... And in it, as we chant it, I'll teach it to you, as we chant it, let come in any of the struggles of today. And I'll speak a little bit more about what some of those are, unpack them a little bit. Any of the struggles of your life, any of the struggles of the world, of those close to you, those far away, the things that press on your heart, where you're not, yeah, where you feel it, where you feel the cries of the world. So this particular chant, if chanting is not your cup of tea, um, let it go in one ear and out the other. Right? Um, th- this chant is with the words Omane Padme Hung, and it has four lines, uh, which I'll teach you with the hand going up and down, right? so you can see where the melody goes. And once we get the hang of it, we'll sing it a little bit together. Um, And then we'll sit in silence, and then I'll offer a few reflections, a few practices, and we'll see where it goes. So take a big breath in with the chest center. See what the weather's like in there tonight. What's the mood? What's the tone? What's the texture of your own heart-mind right now? Happy, sad, tired, excited, radiant, dull. Indifferent, hostile, friendly. Just know it as it is, right? Uh, the practice of the Brahma Viharas isn't to get the right kind of experience. Are any of you still trying to get the right kind of experience? It's what we do, isn't it? It's like, you know, we come to a retreat, we think it might be like going to a shop, we come to buy the right experience. Finally, the one where I can, I can be done. The Brahma Vihara's practice is, is more radical than that, actually. It's the increasing capacity to pulsate along with whatever arises in the heart here, called me in my location, or out there, supposedly out there. 
pulsating along with it, bowing, saying, yeah, this too, this too. And as we do that, as we no longer push it away or try and grab it, it starts to rest. We include it and transcend it at the same time. We're intimate with it, completely intimate. More intimate than our breath. And yet realizing that we're not limited by that. This is freedom. Freedom has to be, to be freedom, it has to be unconditional, right? It's not based on conditions. It's not like, oh, I'll be free as long as that sadness doesn't show up. I'll be free as long as that aversion doesn't show up. I'll be free as long as you don't show up, right? I'm sure we all know people like that. I feel really radiant until he shows up. That's fine. We work with that. It's not that you should suddenly be able to encompass all things. That's our human work. That's the work we do in this realm if we choose to. If we're fortunate enough to have those conditions to do that. So, let's chant. It goes out, it goes like this. Om Is that too loud? No? Okay. Om Mani Padme And then it's the same again. Om Mani Padme Hum. Just try that line. Om Mani Padme This Hri, oh, I haven't even said what it means, have I? Om Mani Padme Hum means basically homage, like amen, yes, please to this quality of compassion, that which can be at ease and yet be utterly intimate with the cries of the world. Homage to that. Um, the, met- the poet poetic metaphor is the, the, it's like the heart is like a lotus flower, that as it unfolds, and that includes your heart, right? as it unfolds, what is revealed is this beautiful quality of, the heart, compassion. And this hrith is a seed syllable in Sanskrit that um, I don't actually know much about seed syllables, but it fits in the song. But it has some resonance and uh, history. I better not say too much more about what a seed syllable is. But let's, let's do it. So, And then so it goes, Om Mani Padme Om Mani Padme then it goes, I'm going to try that line. Beautiful. It's just, actually, it's three lines. First two are the same, ends with the third one. And you can probably hear in that last one, it has that kind of cry in it, the longing, the feel, feel what you make of it, whatever you make, but it has that human um, yearning quality in it that we can hear, that's, that's here for us if we long to know more than we already know about what's possible. So let's go together, and I'll do this a few times, then we'll just do it until it fades, or I ring the bell. Om Mani Padme Oh, my God.
for the suffering of your body today. The aches and pains or chronic illness. For that of your fellow yogis. suffering of your heart today. The difficult mind states. And that of your fellow retreatants. suffering of those you love. Their mental, physical, spiritual suffering. May they be soothed. beings right now in countries at war. The children orphaned by war. receive what they need. The being in, in states of mental suffering. The near and the far. oppression. May they be soothed. And receive protection. May 
all beings without a home. Homeless refugees for any reason. They have refuge and shelter. receive what they truly need. Longfellow said, if we could only read the secret history of our enemies, we would find that in each person's life, sorrow enough, sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all our hostility. If we could only read the secret history of our enemies, we would find that in each person's life there is enough sorrow and suffering to disarm all our hostility. I just want to read one more piece. Um, I recently was lent a book that's come, I think it's probably from this year, from the uh, philosopher, I think he's a British philosopher, or Swiss, Alan de Botton. Um, it's called Religion for Atheists. So, of course, this territory that we're talking about does not belong to the realm of people who just sit cross-legged, right? And he's extracting all the beautiful parts that spiritual traditions have uh, come up with and saying, hey, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's, let's look at these things. And he extracts many things. And one thing he says is, a very human, he says. Especially just before I go there, one of the struggles that can come up for us in this kind of practice is judgment. Has anybody noticed any of that today? Self-judgment, judgment of others. The odd thought here and there. <laughs> Some people are admitting it. It's hard to admit, isn't it? You know, I'm no good, they're no good. Uh, why are they like that? Why are they walking like this? Why am I like this? I'm. You know how judgment goes? It's that, it's that, oh. It, it, it doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it kind of make the heart really bogged down? And sometimes we get obsessed with our judgments about others. And he says, the unsympathetic assessment we make of others are usually the result of nothing more sinister than our habit of looking at them the wrong way. Right? Spiritual practice, what's good about it, it trains our attention. It trains us how to look in a way that fits with the totality, that actually fits with, the way, with nature, actually, with the way things are. He says, often we're looking at them and ourselves. This could be through the lenses clouded by, guess what your lenses might be clouded by? Distraction, he says, exhaustion and fear. He says, which blind us to the fact that they are really, despite a thousand differences, just altered versions of ourselves. Fellow, fragile, uncertain, flawed beings, likewise craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. 
Do you recognize any of that? <laughs> it's not, a, it's not a, some shameful error that we're fragile, fellow fragile human beings, uncertain, flawed, craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. And what do we need forgiving for? Not because we're wrong or bad. That's what the judgment says. That itself is an error. Our forgiveness is for the ways we unintentionally or intentionally, just through our human distraction, fear and confusion, accidentally or sometimes intentionally cause harm to ourself or to another. And sometimes um, uh, just giving this some attention can start to heal and clear a little bit of the heart territory because one of the struggles when we're looking at friendliness and compassion and tomorrow we'll get on to joy and equanimity. One of the struggles is that we think, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, I'm too bad, I've got too much stuff, my heart's too clogged up with impurities. Anybody ever have a thought like that? No. <laughs> okay. Some of you. Yeah. Right? And it's actually a wrong understanding. We're not clogged up with impurities. There's not a me who has to unclog herself from impurities. But we can start to let those be seen. Not to make a new story for ourselves. You see, I am wrong. Look how horrible my mind is. Look how tight my heart is. Look how nasty I am when everyone's walking outside and I just want to imagine your worst. You know, whatever your mind comes up with. So I want to offer a short forgiveness practice, uh, which I have found really useful. Something I, I remember, because I was grown up in a tradition where forgiveness was a value, I rejected it, right? Because it can seem a little bit like it's a Band-Aid or it's a, some kind of platitude. or so It's not real. It doesn't really get to the heart of the fact that humans are awful. And, you know. So I got a little cynical around it in my 20s. And, And actually, it's something very profound. And here's another quote. Somebody said, I wanted to keep the other my enemy so that I wouldn't have to do the hard work of forgiveness. There's a work in it. Sometimes we think, if I forgive myself or if I forgive the other, I'm not, I'm condoning something that's not okay or I'm acquiescing. It's not that at all. It takes a lot of courage to do the work of forgiveness because if it's not just the thought, if we really go deep with it, it, it lets us feel the pain, the vulnerability, the healing of the wound, the hurt, the misunderstanding may all come to the surface to be held, to be seen by the radiant light of our heart. We can see those distortions in ourselves and in each other. And rather than make us, uh, doesn't turn us into better people, forgiveness. It turns us more and more into people. It turns us more and more into humans. It's like, yeah, that could have been me. That was me. <laughs> I did do that. Right. So here's how it goes. Um, let yourself be comfortable. Just be a few minutes long. Yeah. So spiritual practice isn't making ourselves good into a better self-image or a more purified self. It's going deeper and wider than that whole human confusion of good and bad. That whole painful split that causes so much pain in our own heart and in this world, right? they're the bad ones, he's the bad one, or I'm the bad one. That primal, as it's called in one of the traditions, the primal disease of the mind, the splitting of good and bad. So this is much rounder than this. So take a breath, widen your attention, feel your bum on the seat, 
your human seat, your seat of your aspiration for waking up to the deeper truth of our boundlessness. And the phrases are quite lovely, I, I find, in this. I'll say it and then I'll repeat it in chunks for you to pick up for yourself. And it starts with forgiveness to myself for the ways I may have hurt myself. And it goes like this. And if you want, you can make that contact with your body and heart. It's up to you. Or any parts of your body that feel in need. For the ways that I have hurt or harmed myself in this life, intentionally or unintentionally, through the actions of my body and my speech and my mind, I ask now for my own forgiveness. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So you can, if you wish to repeat little chunks of it silently back to yourself and let it drop in the well. For the ways I have harmed myself or hurt myself in this life, intentionally or unintentionally, through the actions of my body, my speech, the way I talk to myself, out loud or in my mind, I ask now for my own forgiveness. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Breathing and letting the phrases find their way into the fabric of your heart, mind, your body. In the understanding that we really only do those things, like he says, out of our own lenses of not seeing clearly, of our own fear, our distraction our exhaustion. And then beginning to ask for forgiveness for from those who we may have hurt or harmed. And I would suggest that you don't You know, go to your most grievous thing that you feel horrible about. Unless you feel really ready for that. This is not about having more self-judgment or criticizing ourselves. It's actually about, oh yeah, this too. This too. Including it. Starts to heal it. For the ways I have hurt you. intentionally or unintentionally in this life through the actions of my body my speech and my mind I ask now for your forgiveness I'm sorry And in the asking for our forgiveness, we're not debasing ourselves. We're still upright. Taking our noble seat. This is a courageous thing to be um, upright and vulnerable. For the ways I have hurt you, intentionally or unintentionally, 
through the actions of my body and speech and mind. I ask now for your forgiveness. And let your breath travel all the way to your fingertips. The breath helps transform this um, material. If we can meet it with presence. And finally, offering forgiveness to those who may have hurt us. And again, I don't suggest you choose the most grievous form of hurt or abuse if you have such things in your heart from others. Go very, very gently if that's the case. Choose something more mundane to start with unless you feel really ready. And if it is something very painful and you're not quite there with the forgiveness, at the end of the phrase you can say, and I incline my mind to forgiveness. May I be able to forgive you one day if you're not quite there, if that's not quite true yet. But it might be. You might be ready to incline there. And bringing that being or yeah just maybe just one being rather than if there's a whole group just one's enough tonight and bring them into your field of awareness at a distance that still lets you feel and breathe with your own body right don't bring them in too close to start with If you notice that you start to contract or start to get afraid, put them further away in your mind's eye. Outside the room if you need, or another solar system if you need. It's okay. It's the inclination that is beautiful. For the ways that you have hurt me and harmed me intentionally or unintentionally through the actions of your body, your speech or and your mind, I offer you now my forgiveness. I forgive you. Oh, I incline my mind toward forgiveness. Or may I be able to forgive you, whatever's real for you. the ways that you've hurt me or harmed me intentionally or unintentionally through the actions of your body, speech and mind I forgive you and breathing out into your fingertips open the eyes Let that being go.
to take a weather check into the quality of your heart and mind right now. It's a, it's a, a skill we can learn. It's like sampling soup, one of my teachers says. Imagine a pot of soup on the stove and you dip the spoon in and you bring it out and you taste it. If you were to do that right now, you kind of put the spoon in to the quality of what's here and bring it up and taste it. What's it like right now? Is it bitter? Is it sweet? Is it empty? Tender? Concrete? Concrete soup? I, I can say that with meta practice and these practices for myself, it, it's taken years to learn what resonance means, how to resonate and pulsate along with something I didn't have a clue what was being said. I knew I, I knew I felt things sometimes, but in the practice I would find mostly I was in mental activity. Um, if that's the case today, fine. Fine. Bears fruit, even inclining our mind with these intentions, it bears fruit in time. It's like we're wearing a different groove. It picks up momentum. Keep faith with it. Another struggle somebody mentioned today actually, it's not just that I, in the mental activity, the words feel hollow. Sometimes. Anybody have that experience? Sometimes the words are hollow. Like, apparently I learned that banana... Is it banana trees? They're hollow in the middle? They got a... Yeah, somebody's nodding, yeah. It's a trunk and there's nothing in the middle. It can feel like that, right, sometimes. So if it's hollow, if it's hollow, know that. Know that. Oh, this feels a little hollow. Okay. It still has a um, function, right? It's better than thinking about many of the other things that pass through our mind, right? But we can also start to include the hollowness. There are many qualities the heart comes, there's chitta. Chitta is the word given for heart-mind. It's the whole sensitive, resonant, uh, affectedness of us, right? This has many things passing through it that aren't easy. So if it's hollow, if it's the feeling of feeling desolate sometimes, the heart can have desolate spaces that are part of our journey of healing. Abandoned, hurt, lonely. Um, what else? Many, many, many. If they arise today, let's start with hollow. If hollow arises, go, okay, this is hollow. What does hollow feel like? What does hollow feel like? And you go, it doesn't feel like anything. It's hollow. Right? Can I come and know hollowness? Can I feel that in my trunk, literally in my trunk? Oh, wow, it's like there's an absence here. It's like there's nothing here. Do I care about that? I assume the person who wrote the note cares about that. Well, they wouldn't have written the note. That we care about something when we say, oh, it's hollow. Right? Can you see that part that cares about being hollow? that's the boundless heart coming through. It's not that you shouldn't be hollow. It's can I care? Can I let that caring come through, touch, feel, embrace, and hold? That which sees the hollowness is not hollow. That's bright. That's light. That's awake. That which sees the hollow, that which sees the desolation, that which sees the hurt, the abandonment, the fear, that's, can you see that? It's one thing to feel, let's say, hurt and be lost in that and keep spinning the story, I'm hurt and it shouldn't have been like that and they shouldn't have said that and he shouldn't have done that, and, right? That's ruminating. But actually to come and reckon, oh, this is hurt. There's already some wakefulness. There's already a bright mind and heart that can see the hurt. Can we rest with that? Our mind tends to get fixated on the content of what passes through. All right? The Buddha said something like, fools seek for experience. 
meaning fools want to have the right kind of experience. He said, the wise seek to understand it. Fools seek for experience, the wise seek to understand it. So these conditions are all allowed. As we do something like this practice of metta and compassion, we start to go, oh, well, I'm supposed to be doing metta and compassion, but actually I feel hollow. Actually, I feel full of anger. Actually, I feel full of mistrust. Actually, I feel abandoned and hurt and desolate. I feel lonely. They keep talking about boundless heart and all beings, and, and I feel lonely and isolated. That's not a mistake. These things get pushed up to the surface here because we've stopped. It's not because you've got more hurt or more lonely. It's because in stopping, in being willing to say, okay, let me check this out. Yes, I orient to love. And as I do, can I see what arises? Can I include what arises? Can I meet it with a gentle touch? With this ease that we're seeing in this model here. So we're not trying to get the right experience. But as we meet and no longer reject ourselves or the other, that light of our awareness, that light of our heart, that which sees what's happening. Oh, well, I thought I was a really nice person till I got in the food queue at Guy House and realized how impatient I was or, you know, Oh, wow. Letting those states, those gnarly states, those clunky states, those awkward states, those painful states, those rageful states, those irritated states, letting them be seen and held in that brightness of clear seeing of the heart, they can start to become more and more transparent to that light. They don't disappear right away. That might be our work for some years especially these very painful ones that feel close to home. Have you got any of those that feel like, well, okay, I, I concede maybe there is a radiant heart that's pretty good, but it's not, it doesn't cut the mustard when it comes to... Some of us have like a bottom card state. We think that's really the... Yeah, radiant heart's very nice, but what about, what about that part in me that really mistrusts? Do any of you have the state where you mistrust goodness? Don't really trust it? No? <laughs> right. It's one thing that we, can see, that we can see sometimes the limitation to this beautiful boundless heart is we get so far and say, yeah, that's all very well, but this state, this pain, this loneliness, this desolation... Radiance isn't going to help that. That's really who I am. That's really who I think I am. No one's ever been able to meet that. Nothing's ever touched that. Nothing's ever met me at that lonely spot. And we tend to believe that as a story about ourselves, or that we might think we're bad. Anyone ever think there's something wrong with them? Many of us suffer from that. Something wrong, really. Yeah, radiant heart's very nice, but there's that kind of wrong thing about me. I have to fix that first. No. We might feel and hear in our mind that, oops, I'm bad, I'm wrong, what is it have I done wrong? What is it that I've got to feel guilty about? What is it that I've got to fix? Hearing it, meeting it with the ears of Kuan Yin, even the idea that there's something wrong with us can become transparent to this light. It can start to burn up. In the light, spiritual practice is not making a better self-image for ourselves. It's not about becoming someone better. It's healing those places that we have taken to be this separate little sense of self. One example is, um, you know, we can even, we cling. Somebody, actually somebody wrote a note today saying, I'm having trouble with the concept of peace. Um... Um, let's see what I can say about that. Firstly, that's good. <laughs> it's good to have trouble with the concept of peace because it's not a concept, firstly. And 
because really the peace is found, is known in the moment where we're not clinging to any ideas about myself or the other, about what should be or what should not, should not be. The clinging relaxes. We find ourselves landing again back, maybe for the first time, in a sacred matrix. In the moment where we release the clinging to that separate sense of self. And we can even cling to these really painful self-images of around my body, around my mind, around my wrongness, around my... And I remember I used to be a primary school teacher for a little bit. And one of my colleagues, she told me about a little boy in her class who was about nine. And such had been the pain of his life so far that... And you can see that he clung. I mean, we do it. We cling when we're fearful. It's not wrong. We just cling when we're fearful. We cling to something. He clung to an image of uh, his wrongness and badness, such that when she praised him, when he did something beautiful, he lost his bowels. He got so scared. He got so scared to be exposed to something that wasn't the familiar, that wasn't the safe but awful truth of what his life must have been like at home or in his heart. I mean, I don't know his story, right? That to say, oh, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful drawing you've just done. He got terrified. Too much, too much radiance there can threaten us. So sometimes what can come up is a pushing away of the radiance, pushing away of love. Have any of you ever pushed away love? (laughs) I mean, we really want it, don't we? But what did we do in the face of real love? It has the effect of melting our heart. And I was telling Jai yesterday, I remember going to the temple opening where she was a nun um, a good number of years ago, and they had all these old monks and nuns from uh, everywhere and lots from Asia because we have an Asian tradition here. And uh, I, as I said, I had a hard time uh, resonating. I had a sort of tough, a tough South, South London shell around me. And uh, there was this monk, this old, old, I think he must have been, I think he was Thai, we thought, probably. An old Thai monk sitting on this platform just like sunshine but not a sort of a look I'm like sunshine (laughs) just this radiant uh, sun and I was drawn there's something about the radiance that draws us and I was drawn I could feel my legs walking closer towards him and it was like I don't want to do that I'm I'm hard (laughs) <laughs> I didn't still tell that story, but it was scary. It was a scary to approach that because what happens, and I don't just mean out there when the love is out there, I mean as we start to contact it in ourselves as well more and more, it has the effect of melting us. And even though we want to melt, something in us wants to relax and completely melt, we're also not at all sure what will happen when we melt. <laughs> right? We get a little afraid. Will I turn into a puddle? Will I lose my cool? Will I slobber all over him? You know, will I... we, we get afraid that we'll lose something of our wisdom when we melt. So some of our ambivalence about the loves, even letting our images of our <coughs> something wrong with me, what would happen if they melted? What would happen if you were no longer convinced that you were at the bottom line, sad, lonely, depressed, uh, angry, hateful, whatever it is, bad, wrong. Or if you have really great self-images, like if you think you really are the bee's knees, the best, the loveliest, the most enlightened. It's all another story. What if they all melted? Where would that leave you? The truth is we don't know, and that's why we can't get our head around peace. We can't get the concept of peace. We can't get our head around what we don't know when we've stopped clinging to ideas about self and other.
We might have a philosophical grievance with the boundless heart that might have come up today. Like it's not really real or I doubt it's true or it's not true for me or any of you see that? No. <laughs> if, we could, if it does come up, we can remind ourselves of the stories, the ordinary greatness of the human heart and the extraordinary greatness of the human heart that is seen time and again in our history. Yes, we can all point to the awfulness of the things we do when we're occluded by fear and hate and distraction. But we can also point to the incredible beings that have graced this planet. Maybe you know some, maybe you're one of them. Maybe the ordinary acts. I'm thinking of people like Nelson Mandela and that transformation that he seemed to undergo into this noble leader. I mean, he was a noble leader to start, but something got more transformed in those years as he got older, it seems to me. I don't want to tell his story, but something of this great heart under extraordinary horrors that can come through. There are so many stories. Simple story. This is a true story of a young girl uh, who had a rare blood disorder that required a transfusion and the only person who had the matching type was her little brother who was six Um, and so his parents decided to ask him if it was okay to take some of his blood to save her life and the parents took him to one side and explained the situation and said that your sister will die and only your blood will save her would you give some of your blood to save her life Remember, he's six. He's hearing it through a six-year-old soul. And apparently the boy looked very serious and asked the doctor, will she really die if she doesn't have my blood? And the doctor said, yes. And he looked very serious, got lost the color in his cheeks, became concerned. So they left him, not put under, under pressure. And eventually he replied, okay. Then the story goes that soon after they set up the transfusion and the little boy was in the bed beside his sister's bed and he seemed very calm as the blood was taken from his arm and infused into his sister's arm. And the little boy watched and the doctor and the parents were able to see the sister get some life back in her, apparently, and and he smiled. Then a a serious look passed over his face. And he asked the doctor, so how long will it be now before I start to die? That's what he thought. You know how it is when we're little? We we see things the way we see them. You know how it is when we're big? We see things the way we see them. We don't always see the whole story. Maybe it's obvious, but he thought that in that giving, not only probably did it hurt, but it meant giving his life. There is really something great in the human heart and we work with the things that appear to be more petty or more charged on our way to restoring and returning. So I'm going to stop there because there's lots more we can say and we will. There's been a lot of input today. I'm just going to invite you just to pause a minute if you might still be feeling the story. (coughs) Breathe right to, if you can, breathe out into your fingertips. All right. (sighs) Let that life of breath, breath of life, trickle right down into these arms which are like these ex- the extensions of this heart, right? the embracers. They're also, yeah, they're also the fighters, and the, but they can also be the embracers. That in the end the trust can, does deepen. If we keep hanging out with uh, practice, with ourself, with 
wise guidance we can start to get for ourselves that in the end nothing can overwhelm the boundless heart. It's way bigger than even the most distorted hate. The boundless heart does not mean bad things don't happen. It does not mean we condone those things that we need to say no to. Not at all. The boundless heart first says, yes, it's like this. And from the depth and the breadth of that radiance has more intelligence available to it to make a response. Sometimes a silent response, sometimes an active response. If there are any benefits from our practice today that ripen here and now or further along the great way, may they be dedicated tonight to the welfare of all those in this world right now seeking refuge, inner or outer. May all beings find refuge. take a seat there's a couple more things before we go to before we get to nine o'clock um tomorrow's schedule has anybody seen it yet is it pinned up do we have a copy um have a look at it <laughs> i think we have a slightly earlier wake up is that right yeah Fifth, i think it's 15 minutes earlier so wake up bell ringer check that out so that would probably make it 6.15, wake up, if I'm accurate. 6.45, we'll come in and sit. We'll probably chant our four boundless uh, qualities, chant at the end before breakfast or at the beginning. Um, and then from 6.15 to 6.45, get up and move a little bit, come outside. Um, the groups will be posted tomorrow bef- uh, around breakfast time. You're not in a group before breakfast, so... <coughs> That's all as normal. It will be after that morning meeting at 9.30. The first groups will meet. And you don't have to think too much about it. You may or may not have something to say. There's no compulsion, but we ask people to come along um, and lend an ear. And if there's something that wants to be shared, spoken, asked about, then it can happen. So don't, don't uh, if you start worrying about it too much tonight, see if you can go, oh, okay, here's a little fear or anxiety and let yourself rest on your bed right it's uh, usually usually beneficial the groups for people um any more announcements okay so i thought to end tonight to play you a song from my uh computer and you can lay down if you wish or sit on a chair or just as you are and i'll I'll plug the I'll plug it into these speakers it's a little better for music
So I'll read you the words first, in case you can't hear them. It's a Leonard Cohen song, a more recent one, actually. Um, and he, for those of you who don't know, is a musician, songwriter, who's in his late 70s now, actually, and seems to be also turning into a radiant being as he gets older. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also spent six years as a Buddhist monk, uh, meditating as well, um, in the Zen tradition. And this song is called Come Healing, and it's speaking about this part of the process that we're in right now around compassion, where healing is the wholeness, the boundless heart, where the fragmentations have melted. And we he- that's the work of healing, right? So this is the lyrics, and then I'll play you it. Gather up your brokenness and bring it to me now. The fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow. The splinters that you carry, the cross you left behind, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind. And let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn. I just wanted to say what about penitential. We're not using it in the, in the sense of punishment, but that, as we did the forgiveness meditation, the sorrow, actually, just for our confusion, sorrow for the pain. It's that, it's that penitential hymn. Come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. Behold the gates of mercy in arbitrary space, and none of us deserving the cruelty or the grace. Solitude of longing, where love has been confined, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind. See the darkness yielding that tore the light apart, come healing of the reason, come healing of the heart. Troubled dust concealing, that's our stuff today. Did you see any troubled dust concealing an undivided love? The heart beneath is teaching to the broken heart above. Let the heavens falter and let the earth proclaim, come healing of the altar, come healing of the name. And there's a couple more verses, but I'll play it for you. And then when it's over, uh, feel free to hang around in the silence or have a good night's sleep, go outside, have a cup of tea, get some rest, whatever you need. Oh, mm-hmm.